I said uh, this, this morning, uh, next Sunday, we are going to be uh, celebrating, begin to celebrate, actually, our 100th anniversary. Uh, next Sunday is the 9th. Our anniversary is actually on the 11th. But we're going to be celebrating and giving thanks unto God for his faithfulness to us for these 100 years. And then the big celebration, as you've been hearing, is going to be in May. So we encourage you to keep that in, in your mind. Last week we began looking at the dysfunctional family that Joseph came from, and I think you got a sense that that really was a very dysfunctional family, even though it was, quote-unquote, a godly family, even though it was the founding of the nation of Israel. It was the patriarchs of the 12 tribes, and yet there was a lot that they had to deal with, uh, a lot of sin that was present in their lives. And it certainly reminds us of Deuteronomy, where God says, I called you not because of your righteousness or your holiness, certainly the children of Israel were not deserving of the favored position that they enjoyed. But as we look at tonight, and uh, I would uh, remind you, if you weren't here last week, that there's uh, a back sheet to this uh, for the children. Uh, The numbers correspond to the numbering of the outline. And Pastor Dave uh, drew these pictures. I appreciate his willingness to uh, try to help make this relate to to the children, and I hope that will be a benefit uh, to those who use it. So, God has a purpose for all the circumstances and events that come into the life of the believer. Sometimes those circumstances and events are for no other reason than to build a Christ-likeness in us. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And the whole process of God's providential care in our lives is to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So all those circumstances that we encounter are to build character in us. And then sometimes those circumstances and events are to fulfill a specific purpose of God. Many times we don't know what that is at the time, but in hindsight we can look back and see what God was doing. And the end of the book of Genesis tells us, as uh, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers after having been sold into captivity, after having risen to a place of authority in the nation of Egypt, after having provided for the Egyptians and the Israeli people food in times of great uh, drought, he says this, And as for you, you meant evil against me, But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And so all the circumstances in Joseph's life served to fulfill that ultimate purpose of God, and that was to provide food for the Egyptians and the children of Israel. And that was God's purpose in raising up Joseph, gifting him, calling him, using him. Certainly he did not know that at the beginning, but he comes to understand it at the end. As we look at the early years of Joseph's life, it was filled with a lot of pain and heartache. 
if you notice, number one, the painful circumstances and events around Joseph's early years, uh, early success. Joseph was the appointed leader over his brothers. Joseph brought a bad report concerning his brothers to, the, to his father. In Genesis 32:7-2, we read, This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. NAS, same words, he brought a bad report about them to the father. The King James and Joseph brought unto his father evil report. I think it's important to realize at this point that Joseph was not a, a tattletale. Now, we don't like tattletales. We don't like people that are always squealing on their brothers and sisters for any wrongdoing that they have done. But that's not what's happening here. Joseph was not a tattletale. It would appear that Joseph had been given responsibility over his brothers. He gives a report to his father. That's an important word. Uh, he is giving a formal report to his father as to how the business is going. A. He is fulfilling a responsibility that is placed upon him by his father. Note later in the text. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he was sending him out to make an assessment of how things were going. It's not uncommon in a family situation to leave one child in charge over other children. What is uncommon is to leave the younger child in charge. And in this instance, the youngest child. And we are brought attention into the text of his age. He's 17 years old. And in that economy, and in that time, that was a very young individual. Uh, his brothers, some of them would have probably been in their early 30s. Others in their, their 20s. Uh, they would have been notably older than he. More mature. And so it did not go well. It did not look good to the brothers that here is Joseph being put in charge over them. There is every reason to believe that Joseph exalted excuse me, there is every reason to believe that Joseph excelled his brothers in leadership qualities and that Jacob was quite justified in putting Joseph in charge. Yes, he was young but he was an outstanding individual and we know that objectively from these ways. First, Joseph's leadership qualities were evidenced by the way that he managed the household of Potiphar. After he sold into slavery, Potiphar, an Egyptian, uh, buys Joseph and takes him home and begins to give him duties and responsibilities. Well, the household of Potiphar is richly blessed as a result with the final outcome of Genesis 39.6, so he, that is Potiphar, left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern him, uh, uh, himself with anything except the food which he ate. So he just delegated all responsibility to Joseph. Didn't even want to know how the money was being spent. Didn't want to know how his 
time was being used. All he cared about was there was food on the table, and he knew that Joseph would take care of all the rest. Jonah's leadership qualities were evidenced by his promotion while in prison. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. That is the other prisoners. And so here is Joseph. He's a prisoner. He's in, in, in jail. And the jailer places him in charge of all the other prisoners. Joseph's leadership qualities were evidenced by his promotion to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And so, Pharaoh exalts uh, Joseph and makes him head over all the, all the things pertaining to his household. God had gifted Joseph to such a degree that all who were objective could see it. Potiphar could see it. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. The jailer could see it. Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Pharaoh could see it. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, whom is a divine spirit? So not only was Joseph a good, hard worker, not only was he wise, not only was he diligent, not only did he exercise sound judgment in the things that he did, but he did them in such a way that his faith shone forth that it was quite obvious that he was a devout young man. And it's rather uh, interesting that all those individuals, though they were heathen, recognized that there was something unique about Joseph, and part of his uniqueness had to do with his faith. He must have been quite verbal about his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognized, they recognized, that God was with him. There is every reason to believe that his brothers viewed Joseph's exalted position as just another example of Jacob's favoritism. However, Joseph's leadership skills were outstanding. Application. Many times, people are not objective in their evaluations of individuals they do not like. Uh, The brothers stumbled at the stumbling block of Joseph being put over them because they didn't like him. And it was true that the father showed great favoritism to him. We saw that last week. Did so by giving him this coat of many colors, a very costly gift. Did the most horrendous thing by protecting Joseph's life when he's willing to sacrifice all the other sons in order to preserve the life of of Joseph. There, There was no question that he was the favorite son of Jacob. But having said that, even though he was the favorite son, it also appears that it was quite justified that Joseph would exercise this leadership and responsibility over his brothers. But his brothers couldn't see that. Going back a long time ago, I remember when I was in high school. And there was a girl in our class who wasn't particularly well-liked. She was pretty conceited and uh, thought she was pretty important and let it be known. So 
So this girl was not well-liked. She had been the lead in the high school musical for three years in a row. And it was the day in which the parts were going to be posted on the bulletin board as to who had this year's lead in the musical. And it was right before study hall. So people went over to the bulletin board to see who was the lead in the musical right before study hall began. Sure enough, this girl gets to be the lead the fourth year in a row. Now, it was quite interesting because I'm sitting in the front of all these girls and, and they're talking about this girl being the lead in the musical. And they're turning to each other and said, I can't believe that she got to be the lead again. You sing so much better than, than she does. You're such a, a better actress than she is. And they're all complimenting each other and saying, you know, it's just because she is the teacher's pet. That's all. And I'm sitting there and thinking, what planet do you live on? You know, I didn't particularly like this girl either, but she had a very beautiful voice. And she acted well. She got the lead because she deserved the lead. But these girls couldn't bring themselves to acknowledge that. They would rather believe that it was all because she was the teacher's pet rather than to accept the fact that it was deserved. Well, that's what we have in the lives of the brothers. Uh, they want to just attribute whatever success that Joseph encounters is merely one more example of the favoritism that Joseph is, excuse me, that Jacob is showing to him, and it's not true. <clears throat> B. There is every reason to believe that the bad report that Joseph gave to his father was justified. And it says that Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. These brothers do not come off squeaky clean in this narrative. They are real scoundrels. You know that because they sell them into bondage and all the other kinds of stuff. Nor do they seem to have a great concern for their father's well-being. They lie to their father. They deceive their father. They know that, that Joseph is particularly dear to their father. They are happy to sell him into prison and bring pain and heartache to their father. These are not particularly nice, nice guys. And so there's every reason to believe that they were not pulling their weight as they should. It's not difficult to imagine they were not the workers that they should have been. We know for a fact they could not get along with their boss. Uh, so uh, that was going to be a problem. Application. Joseph had to learn how to rule over people that hated him and envied his position. We're, we're talking about how God is preparing Joseph. As miserable and hard as this is, one can only imagine what it was like for Joseph to arrive at a position in Egypt where he second command to Pharaoh. I don't think that went down too well with the Egyptians. Here is this foreigner. Here is this slave. Here is this con man that was in prison. And now he gets promoted and he's second in command in the land of Egypt. And then, if you remember the story, Everybody has to sell their land in order to buy grain. And Joseph is responsible 
for making everybody a pauper in the land of Egypt. You think taxes are high now. They had to pay their last farthing in order simply to get food. I'm sure that didn't go over real well. As they're doling out all this money to, to Joseph, God was preparing him for a much more difficult assignment, a much more difficult task than he'd ever experienced in his own home. Two, oftentimes people resent those who are simply doing their jobs. Sometimes when people are passed over for promotion, and deservedly so, they believe that the one promoted was an object of undue favoritism. (coughs) (coughs) By the way, this would set him up for the next test. Namely, how would Joseph handle one who showed an improper interest and affection? Namely, Potiphar's wife. Here is a person who is hated by his brothers. uh, Shown no love by them. And he's sold into bondage. And now all of a sudden there's this beautiful woman that is interested in him. Comforts him. Pays a lot of attention to him. And wants to have a sexual relationship to him. Well... Joseph resists the temptation. He doesn't do that. Number two, God's revelation of Joseph's future success. Through a series of dreams, God revealed to Joseph that he was going to rule over his brothers and that should be father. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I have, ha- I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for, excuse me, his dreams. (coughs) (coughs) So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and even the stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? The dreams had a negative effect upon the brothers. They hated Joseph because of his dreams. If you look back on page 5, if you look at verse 5, Before the dreams are actually introduced, before the dreams are narrated, before we know what the dreams consisted of, and before we know what the interpretation of those dreams are, before any of that is communicated to us, what is communicated is verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. That is, in the text, the focal point of these dreams. In the text, the focal point is the effect that it had on the brothers. Namely, they hated them. They hated them. That's why we're told about these dreams. So we would understand even more why the brothers hated Joseph. Back to page 6. 
too. They hated Joseph because of what he said about his dreams. Then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Or as the NIV translates, and what he had said. The inference is that Joseph gloated about his dreams, or at least that is how the brothers took it. Now, there's a fine line between there, but an important line, because Joseph really comes out to be a very remarkable young man. Uh, he really is very, very godly. Uh, Joseph is doing the right thing time and time and time again. So what Joseph does with these dreams is rather curious. Was he boasting? Was he gloating over the elevated position that he was to have? Or was he simply trying to convey truth to them and they were unwilling to accept it? I don't know. But it's obvious that they took it as though he was gloating. They attributed to him this cocky spirit, if you will. Three. Even though Joseph knew that the telling of his dreams had the effect of producing hatred in his brothers, he persisted nonetheless. And reading down to Genesis 37:11, And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So this is after the second dream about how they're all going to bow down to him. And the brothers were jealous. They envied him. Which means that to some measure, they must have believed it. To some degree, they must have thought there's truth behind this because they were jealous of him for these dreams and jealous of the exalted position he was going to have. So on the one hand, they acknowledge the truthfulness of it, but even though they acknowledge the truthfulness of it, they still don't like it, and they still become angry. But we find that often in, in people, that the things we say may be truthful, but it still gets them angry. Then we note the effect of the dreams upon the father. First, Jacob rebuked Joseph because of his dream. And he relayed his dream to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have had? It was not just Joseph's brothers who thought his words were inappropriate. But even Jacob felt that they were inappropriate. He didn't like what Joseph had to say. However, Jacob did not quickly dismiss what Joseph had to say either. For in Genesis 37:11 it says, And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. He kept pondering it. Even as uh, Mary in the New Testament, when she doesn't understand all that the angel was telling him, her about the birth of the Lord Jesus, it says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Uh, so to uh, Jacob, he's trying to put this all together in his mind. Uh, doesn't like it, but wonders what is going on, what God is saying. Hey, Jacob kept thinking about the saying with a view to obedience to the saying. It seems as though Jacob came to accept this as of the Lord. Um, having said that, Jacob also thinks that Joseph has died. He thinks that uh, 
an animal got him, just like the son said. So he didn't have enough faith in it to say, well, you know, this has to come to pass. It hasn't come to pass yet. So there's a measure of faith, but not complete faith. Number three, and here's the significance as we think tonight about some practical application. Could Joseph have handled the situation better? Could Joseph have kept silent about these, these dreams? There is no end of debate in the commentaries as to the appropriateness and the inappropriateness of Joseph relaying these dreams to his brothers. Quite frankly, I don't know where to come down on that. The, the text doesn't tell us. So there is a measure of speculation in that. But I, I did think there's a parallel passage that has some relevance to us. And that's from Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah uh, is traveling to Jerusalem to get a look at the city and the walls that have just been totally ravaged by the Babylonians. And, and so the, the city is in shambles. When Nehemiah gets there. Nehemiah 2.11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night. I had a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem. Now, I think that's incredibly significant. He says, I didn't tell anyone what God was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem. And at the end of that passage, if you look on page 8, after touring the city, and it tells us the, sh the shambles that it was in, we read this. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. He kept these things to himself. There is a measure of wisdom when we know that when we begin relating to others what we anticipate doing or how God might use us it may not go down real well. Wisdom takes note of that. About how it's being received. B, did Joseph have to keep telling his brothers about these dreams? One could argue that it was important to pass this revelation on to his brothers so they would know the will of God. But in the text, it says that they not only were upset by the dream, but also his words. His words bothered them. And I would submit to you that he did more than simply interpret the dream. Uh, he made it known what God was going to do. Now we could say he was happy, he was elated, he was delighted. And they should have shared in his delight. They should have shared in his excitement. They should have patted him on the back and said, we're happy for you, Joseph. Well, in all the great worlds, that would be nice. But that wasn't the effect. And so maybe it would have been better if he would have just kept it 
to himself. Three, certainly Joseph handles similar situations quite differently in the latter stages of his life. Joseph has a series of dreams. And if you put those dreams side by side, the dreams with the, the baker and the uh, butler, and then the dreams that he has concerning Pharaoh, and then the dreams he has concerning Egypt. Uh, in all of those instances, Joseph is far more guarded in the relating of those dreams and the meanings of those dreams than he is when he's talking to his brothers. And so, I think he learned from this experience. I think as he sat in prison and reflected, because Joseph was a spiritual person, he didn't just sit there and rudiment and contemplate how awful his brothers were, how wicked these guys were. How dare they sell him into prison? Because the end of the story, of course, is that they all travel down, all the brothers, etc., travel down to Egypt in order to get food, because that's the only place where there's food. They think Joseph is dead. They come to realize that Joseph is alive. And then they're walking on pins and needles, thinking that Joseph's going to have their heads and kill them. And he doesn't. And so then they think the only reason is because Jacob is still alive. And once Jacob dies, then they think, well, they're going to get their head handed to them. So they make up this story that God had told Joseph to spare his life, which wasn't true. They tried to manipulate Joseph and the word of God. But Joseph shows no animosity at all towards his brothers. He's honest. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And all the time that he's in prison, he's not contemplating how he can get even. If I ever get out of this place, they better watch out. If this dream ever comes to pass and I get to rule over them, oh, is their day coming? Not a hint of that. And nothing in the actions of Joseph reflect that. Instead, we have Joseph contemplating his own relationship to God. And I think that by the grace of God, as he sat in prison, knowing that he was there unjustly because Potiphar's wife accused him of something that wasn't true, he was unjustly in prison, knowing that he was unjustly sold by his brothers, yet is still willing to examine his life and say, to what degree did I contribute to this? That's remarkable. And that's praiseworthy. And it prepares him to handle the rising to authority like no other. And it doesn't go to his head at all. Joseph continues to acknowledge his God. Gives God the praise for the ability to answer and to interpret the dreams. Speaks of God's faithfulness. And even speaks of God's sovereignty. All of that, pretty remarkable. And 
a product of his early years. So, why would God have revealed these dreams to Joseph? Well, we might say to inform Joseph of God's will for his life. Probably didn't understand it all. But he had this hope in the back of his mind. Secondly, to encourage Joseph in times of hardship and difficulty. Uh, it must have been incredibly incongruous in his mind. Here he had this dream. And evidently he understood it to a degree. He was able to explain it. Knew that his parents were going to bow down to him. Knew his brothers were going to bow down to him. And he had this, this dream, and yet he's sold into bondage, and then he ends up in prison. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, I think we all know that difficulty. How do we reconcile sometimes the events and the circumstances in our life with God's love and care for us? When we have prayed about situations... And they don't turn out at all the way we thought that they would. When we're treated unjustly and unfairly. Do we begin to question God's authority? Do we begin to question God's goodness? Do we begin to question God's plan? God is preparing each one of us for greater usefulness to Him. And part of that preparation is the pain that we have to go through the lessons we have to learn about our own relationship to God. And C, to prepare Joseph for learning how to handle the revelations that God would give to him. They were going to be bigger dreams than the ones that he had concerning Pharaoh, concerning the land of Egypt. And Joseph is incredibly diplomatic in the interpreting of those dreams. Very deferential to Pharaoh, and very God-honoring in the way in which he speaks about these things. So I see it as preparation for that time in his life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for, yes, even the hard and difficult things that come into our lives. Oftentimes it is at the end of our life we can look back and begin to see why certain things have happened. It's one of the joys of growing older. To be able to reflect back and to see the grace and goodness of God. How decisions have worked out. How when we didn't know how things were going to be supplied for us, we saw your hand of provision. We thank you for life's experiences. And I pray that we would allow them to mold us. Help us to learn from them. Help us to appreciate them. Help us to trust you through them. And Lord, we don't know what you would have for us, these young people that are sitting in the pews. I pray that you'd use them mightily. I pray that you would raise them up and give them incredible gifts and talents and abilities. And that, Lord, you'd be pleased to exalt them. And they would use their exalted position to glorify you and to serve their fellow man. Help us all. And uh, Lord, uh, keep us from being discouraged when we are treated unjustly, unfairly. We're misunderstood. 
For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. The new artist missed.